Saigon. Shit. The Inflation Nation is what everybody listens to. Isn't that right, everybody? Did you start? Yes, by oh, the way. Hi, hi everybody. Hi, everybody. Caught Lindsay off guard. Caught Lindsay off guard. You did. I'm singing like a girl because it's cool. By the way, that's our new theme song. No, it's not. <laughs> You're our new theme song. That made no sense. No. Speaking of making no sense, welcome, everybody. To movie number... It was a terrible transition. <laughs> 30. <laughs> number 30. Number 30, Lindsay. Jeffrey. Next week, we would have normally started episode, or number 29, 29. but we are taking a small, not a break, but we're putting We're going to do a special summer episode. episode for you. Yeah. We haven't done a special episode since Ghostbusters, I don't think. No. So that was so, about back in what, February? February or March. Whenever Harold Ramis died. Yeah. Which I think was in March. I Maybe so. it was February. It was February because it was during bassoon tech. Don't ask me why. That's how I remember it. Most people use calendars to remember it stuff. It was a Monday that he died, by the way. Welcome to the special happy episode. Of... Hi, everybody. Hi. Oh, yes. Happy episode. We watched Apocalypse Now. Redux from nineteen seventy. Yes. Okay. Let us let us discuss this really, really quick. Um, we watched Apocalypse Now Redux. Do we know why the hell it's called Redux? What does that mean? I don't know. Because as we were discussing, it's not, it's not, it's not. It's not redo. It's not redo. Because Jeff and I both speak French. Yeah, and, and it's not. Do would have an E in it. Yeah. So either that or maybe Coppola misspelled it. I can't imagine he would have done that. But like, if we, okay, so what we did is I had a dilemma because we usually, for the podcast, try to watch the mo- the version of the movie that's more readily available to the public. Or, in some cases. Hold on, hold the on. The theatrical hold on, version. Hold on. Do you have it? Hold on. You have pronunciation? Yep. Bring it close to the microphone. <laughs> if it'll actually Why play. is it not letting me... Is your sound on? Yes, my sound is on. <laughs> it's not doing it. You want me to Redux. look? Redux. Redux. Ha! Okay, so you're right. Um, no, so usually we try to find the movie that is the one that's more readily available to people, or is the one that more people would have seen in theaters. Yes. Like, for example, if the movie was in theaters and that's the version that got recognized, but there was like, okay, for like Lord of the Rings, we watched the theatrical cut, mm-hmm. not the extended edition that Jackson did later on right. on the DVDs Which, by Blu-rays. the way, he's going to release even longer versions. I saw that. <laughs> I will buy them. Oh my gosh. I don't even know what he's going to put in that. For days. Um, so, with this when this movie came around... Maybe they shot Tom Bombadil and they're actually going to put it in the movie. Ironically, they should. That would be funny. Because it's the one complaint I've heard the most uh-huh. about when it came to Fellowship of the Rings yep. is that he was not in Fellowship. Um, no, so when it came to this movie, I personally... Lynn, you were always geared towards it being... We were watching the Redux version. Yes. So, but I... That's I, the version I saw first, I think. Because it came out, he did it. No, I must not have seen Redux because there's stuff in here I don't remember. Okay, and I saw it ten years ago, so it would have already been out. Yeah. So my my dilemma was that both versions are on Netflix. Mm I had the I I did not know which one I wanted to watch because technically the theatrical one is the one that won the awards that you know is in the National Film Registry. It's the theatrical cut, is not the Redux version. Right. So it's one of those where it's like, um, well, and they're both on Netflix. 
But my deciding factor was reading articles regarding Francis Ford Coppola's opinion on this movie, on the Redux version, being that he hoped it was the version that people would remember and not the original. And like the fact that they, he brought back the original editor to re-edit the film, you know, he brought back a handful of the original actors to redub their lines for the deleted scenes that he put in. Like I'm sitting there going, okay, obviously this is what he wanted it to be. So right. I said, okay, well, I, I felt better. And plus this film actually does not have a IMDb page. So no, it's not, not this version. It's not technically a separate film. It is just the no. alternate version for the film. Uh, so I'm just like, all right, well, fine, whatever. We'll watch the longer version of the movie the way that Coppola wanted it to be, I guess. I don't know. I, it seems to be contradictory towards what we did for Lord of the Rings. But, but guess what? It's our podcast and we can do what we want. I know. And that's why I was just, I didn't know. If it's easily available for everybody, which if you pay your $8 a month or more for Netflix, it is. Yeah. Then you it's, can watch they're both the Redux. On, they're both on Netflix. Both versions are there. So it's whether just you want to spend two and a half hours or three hours and 15 minutes. Yes. And we decided to spend three hours and 15 minutes. Anyways, after all of that is said and done, Lindsay, give us a description about the movie. <laughs> Okay. Talk about the movie. That's so this is Apocalypse Now from 1979. It is rated R. Um, the version we watch is three hours and 15 minutes. It is an 8.5 out of 10 with a 90 Metascore. It's a really nice Metascore. During the U.S.-Vietnam War, Captain Willard is sent on a dangerous mission into Cambodia to assassinate a renegade colonel who has set himself up as a god among a local tribe. Directed by Francis Ford Coppola, written by John Milius... And Joseph Conrad wrote Heart of Darkness, which is the book that this movie is based on. Got the it. documentary is called Hearts of Darkness. Got it. Starring, sorry. Yes. Martin Sheen, Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, Frederick Forrest, Sam Bottoms, Lawrence Fishburne, Albert Hall, Harrison Ford, Dennis Hopper, G.D. Spradlin, Scott Glenn. That's pretty much everyone we... Oh, Colleen Camp. That's pretty much everyone yeah. we know. <laughs> Um, I did find, oh, look at that. Apocalypse Now, the work print does have an IMDb listing. Okay. Five hours and seven minutes long. Jesus. The work print of this movie is over five hours long. He shot, ruined my own trivia, he shot 200 hours of film. Which is nuts, by the way. Just throwing that out there, that is ridiculous that there's that much footage. But I mean, I guess... I guess I would. I, I'm very interested to see the the documentary. I really want to see it now, just to see. Yeah, well, we're all gonna the watch crap, it. Yeah, all the crap that went into making this film, and why the hell there's that much hours of footage shot for this movie. <laughs> um, do you want to read the summary? Not your summary, but the summary for I the movie. I already did. You did read it. Yeah. When did you read it? After I read the Metascore, and then I said, during the U.S. Vietnam War, Captain Willard oh. is sent on a dangerous. <laughs> and then I, I said, starring. I legitimately did not hear you read that at all. No, I I'm read sorry. that. It's while I'm you were sorry. typing looking for the Redux page. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. Sorry. It's fine. I spaced out. It's fine. You now you know what it's like summer? to be me when I'm reading the awards. And I'm on Tumblr because yeah. I know what the awards are because <laughs> I looked at it already. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's fine. So it's there. cool. My um, summary. Your summary. Is Martin Sheen is an optical illusion. He is. And Vietnam is the worst. Should we discuss Martin Sheen as the optical illusion? No. Why not? In the discussion part, we'll talk about Martin Sheen. Oh, I just Sheen didn't know when we wanted to discuss it. I don't know. We can talk okay. about it. Well, we can talk we'll about, talk it, about now. it. We can we'll talk about it. No, let's talk about it now. All right. So, 
Martin Sheen is 36 years old in this movie. Yes. Martin Sheen, for those of you who may not know, is the father of Charlie Sheen and also Emilio Estevez. Because Estevez is among the actual... other, I'm sure there's other children. I yes. think there are other children, but these are the two that everyone knows. Because Estevez is actually the family last name. Yes, it Sheen's is. Sheen's the Hollywood name. Yes. So half the time he looks like okay. Let me divide this into thirds. A third of the time he looks like Emilio. A yep. third of the time he looks like Charlie. And a third of the time he looks like Martin Sheen. Yes. Like, like Martin Sheen from like West Wing Martin yeah, Sheen. Yeah, like, like how you would know Martin him Sheen. nowadays. Yeah, not current, current, but like Martin Sheen now. Yep. And like, there was like, like we kept Uncle Ben it out. in The Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. And like we kept pointing it out. Like, because to like, you, ha- he, he looks like, and this is what I said. Martin Sheen is like one of those optical illusions where some people either see like the rabbit or the duck or the yeah. pretty, beautiful woman or the old lady. Yeah. Because Jeff you, kept, seeing, I kept Charlie seeing Charlie Sheen, Sheen and all I can see is Emilio Estevez. Yeah. So there's that. And we finally. He sounds like Emilio though. We, and we came to the conclusion that it, he is, he is Emilio Estevez from the nose up mm-hmm. and then he is Charlie Sheen from the nose down. Yep. Because, like, I could see Charlie When he Sheen's... leans his head back at one point, like, oh, there's Charlie. Yeah, you could, like... He had, I also he... made a really bad joke when he comes out covered in blood and mud. And I go, oh, there's Terrible. Charlie Sheen. Oh, holding, like, a Don't recreate machete. scenes from Platoon with Charlie Sheen. Sorry. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. I love those commercials. I wish they still had those. <laughs> Maybe they do. I don't watch enough TV to know. It's true. No, so... Netflix um, doesn't have commercials yet, so... Um... Real quick opinions movie. Just I like this movie. I liked it. I've never seen it. This is probably one of my I don't want to say favorite because that's a I don't have a favorite Vietnam War movie. But I like this one probably the best of all of them. I'll say we Let me rephrase that. I liked this one best before I saw Deer Hunter, and I think I like Deer Hunter best mm -hmm. now. Because, like, we've seen we were discussing this as well. We've seen And Full Metal Jacket's not on the list, so I can't count it. Right. We've seen three Vietnam movies. If you do not count the Vietnam sequence from Forrest Gump, technically that would be four, but three movies dedicated to Vietnam and the after effects. Well, I guess technically then Taxi. No, but see, that didn't have it. wasn't ever in Vietnam. So no, Adam Baldwin was in Full Metal Jacket. A Baldwin. Not that Baldwin. Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin. I know. Adam Baldwin. James from Firefly. Who did? Oh, that Baldwin. I, you know what? I wrote an Adam entire Baldwin. episode of of Midnight Sleuth with the character of Adam Baldwin in it, specifically making fun of that character. Why I spaced on that? Yeah, Adam Baldwin. God, also in Independence Day, and I only know that because I watched it last night. Oh, that's right. Night. He's the he's one of the military guys, mm-hmm. isn't he? At Area Fifty One. Yep. That's right. See, I he's remember also, him there. He's also Major Casey on Chuck. He was also an Angel. Was he? Yeah, in this last season. Oh, nice. Well, I mean, he's. A Joss At that point, he now, was a, he was so. a Joss person, and then he just yeah. shows up wherever Joss Whedon needs him. Pretty much, I'm waiting for him to be in the Avengers too. Right. Um, anyway, sidetrack. No, sorry, that was yeah, whatever. Um, no, so yes, so I like this movie. Out of all the, I Vietnam, like it better than Platoon. See, and I was like, I feel like this movie captures the um, you go on batshit crazy because of the war yeah. aspect, whereas Platoon. Well, I don't know because Plat- this captures the craziness of the war while you're in it. Platoon feels a little bit more like it's the, I don't want to say it's the Hollywood version of Vietnam, but it kind of is. It's kind of like, here's Vietnam as the whole, as everything's going on. And here's, you know, here's kind of like the, the cliche well, characters. Here's. But this, this focused on one mission and seeing the absolute hardcore reality, I felt like, of what was going on. Like, it, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to describe the let differences. Me, let me read to you what 
Because it's based on Heart of Darkness, is what the movie is technically based from. The story is a complex exploration of the attitudes people hold on what constitutes a barbarian versus a civilized society and the attitudes of colonialism and racism that were part and parcel of European imperialism. Hold on. Oh, gosh, that scared me. Right into my face. (laughs) So basically, it's the, it's the same kind of thing. They're also looking for a Mr. Kurtz. So Because I thought they said the book was different than the movie. It is, but it's the same sort of thing. It's just set differently. It's mm-hmm. set in modern time in Vietnam as opposed to like in, you know, back in the day. Right. Like 1800s, you know, in Africa instead. With the book Because they're still, yeah, they're still going up the river So what, and they, stuff. what they did then is so they, they took the concept and they modernized it to feel, to put it in a world that the people would understand more of nowadays, I guess. The whole idea of, of taking that, that he's going but to in assassinate Heart of Darkness, somebody to He's supposed to be world. rescuing him, not assassinating him. So okay. that's changed. And then, yeah. So... Yeah, it's basically, well, the end of the book, okay, so Kurtz dies in both versions, spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know that, I don't know where you've been because this movie's been out forever and it's pretty much in pop culture. Um, 25 years. Yeah. No, 35 no, years. No, say longer. I'm Can't like, add. Uh, yeah, because it was not 89, Jeff. <laughs> Hi, I'm, 30, I'm turning 30 in a month. Oh, boy. So, basically... Um, when not Emilio Martin Sheen's character is leave, walking out of the temple holding the the manuscript that he that Kurtz was writing, mm-hmm. it's the same thing that happens in the book. The character whose name is Marlo in the book comes back to England with like the manuscript that Kurtz had been writing about like how you know it, it it's like the story that he tells about you know inoculating the children and then the mm-hmm. people cut off their arms. To you know, because they don't want their ways messed with. Yep. It's essentially that, and how it's you know we don't really have the right to go in and bother another culture. Which... Oh, hey, so look, the whole um, what we've got from Vietnam, <laughs> we don't have the right to go in and yep. mess with somebody else's crap. Oh, go so figure. that's what Heart of Darkness, excuse me, <laughs> two, sorry, is about. And so there, you can see the parallels between the story. It's basically they modernized it. Yeah, they modernized it to a to a to a story and a situation it, yeah. that people would understand mm-hmm. more of. I got it. So yeah, I don't know why we started talking about that. Well, that's, but... it deals with the movie at least. Oh, like, we're talking so... about the difference between platoon and yes, and I platoon. Agree. I think was more about the real true to life stuff. Not that the stuff that happens in this wasn't true to life, but it's based on a work of fiction. While platoon is based on you know. Why am I blanking on who did it? Oliver Stone's actual experience in Vietnam. Like, I feel like Platoon focuses more on the person-to-person interaction, like the soldier with, like, the people he dealt with. That's good, yeah. Whereas this was was focusing more on just, like, a single individual's experience dealing with Vietnam. That's good. I like that. And then the deer hunter deals with the aftermath Aftermath. of having to go through all that. Perfect. There we go. Okay. Look at that! Woo! Well, that's the reason why it's on the list. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we just summarized that there we section go. of the podcast. Okay, Jeff, your turn. Hey, my turn! I'm going to go on Tumblr now. Yep, okay. <laughs> Lindsay will return after this short break from Tumblr. Um, all right, well, uh, the awards for this film. This film had a total of 49 award nominations. I was going to say total twice in a row. Please again. do not spit. Do not spittle. It's hard to clean up. The film had eight total Academy Award nominations, of uh, out of the eight, the six nominations 
the six awards that it was nominated for but did not win was Best Picture, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for, oh my goodness, uh, Robert Duvall. I completely spaced in his name for a split second there. I was going to say... I was going to say <laughs> Tom Hagen. And I'm like, that's not his name. No, um, wrong movie. Wrong movie. Best director, best writing, uh, screenplay based on material from another medium. So I guess, again, best adapted screenplay. Best art direction and best film editing. The awards that it did win for was best cinematography and best sound. Because if you watch the movie, as we did, we watched uh, we watched it on Netflix. So it was in the in good surround sound. The moments during the war sequence, the sound sounds amazing in it. It's a really great sound mix. Very well done. Very, very awesome. Uh, the uh, the film was entered into the National Film Registry in 2000. Which version? Well, if it was entered in the National Film Registry in 2000, that was a year before they started working oh, on okay. Apocalypse Now Redux. So it was the theatrical cut is entered into the National Film Registry, not Apocalypse Now Redux. So not the version we watched, but the original version was entered. Um... Let's see here. Where am I going to go? How did I not know about this? What? This. What? This one. What's this one? I don't know about this one. Oh, yeah. That's my other one. I'll follow it. You Um, can't reblog my stuff. I didn't realize I reblogged it from that one. Sorry. That's my fault. That's how people follow my Supernatural Uh blog. Oh, no. (laughs) Colin Um, goes, you're not that stealthy. You say that all the time. You say homeboy all the time. Oh, yeah, I do. You do. Uh, So they really do. The films that beat this out at the awards Uh for the Oscar... The because um, uh, like I said, they were all a lot of nominations, but did not win for uh, the. Uh, oh my goodness! I'm sorry that I'm mumbling a lot. Best supporting Jeff actor. Jeff had a lot of caffeine today, I and I think he's starting to crash a little. So much caffeine today, it's ridiculous. Um, Robert Duvall lost to Melvin Douglas for best supporting actor in the film Being There, which was a uh, um, guy from Doctor Strangelove. Peter Sellers. Yes, it was a Peter Sellers movie. Thank you. Glad you knew what the hell I was talking about. I know what this stands for, (laughs) apparently. Um, The Best Director lost to Robert Benton for Kramer vs. Kramer. Okay. And then Best Picture lost to Kramer vs. Kramer. Kramer Kramer vs. Kramer. Dustin Hoffman. And then he won the Best Actor that year as well for Kramer vs. Kramer. That actually won. Oh, and that's what beat it in Best Adapted Screenplay as well. Uh, what else did it want to do? That was all for what it went against. So gotcha. it actually, Kramer versus Kramer was kind of the... Uh, Way to go! Yeah, was kind of the film that just beat everybody to shite. Oh, but it did beat Kramer versus Kramer for Best Cinematography. Well, duh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jeff and I kept going while watching the movie. They actually did that. Yeah. Like all the helicopters and the smoke yeah. and all those shots. Like that's actually. The amount like. Okay. And that's a great segue into the technical side of things. Oh good. What I was going to talk about was not going to be about all that stuff. But it's crazy to watch this movie just as a person who like I know visual effects really well. I know I can usually tell when something is a visual right. effects. I know when you would do visual effects because I know the cost for certain things. You watch this movie and you realize this is 1979 and they did not have CG computers in 79 to do. Or I mean in the 70s. 70s, the film was like four or five years in the making. Rain. But I mean, like they didn't have computers to do like the wide shot of all the helicopters flying in. And there's a shot where what, like the helicopters land in the bay and they all get out and there's explosions going on in the water and there's smoke in the ground. The helicopters are flying by in the background, the explosions mm-hmm. on the land, the camera, tri- like there's all these people running around and it's like, that's all done practical. Yep. Not a bit of it CG. And you kind of sit there and go, oh yeah, we used to do stuff in camera we didn't mm-hmm. like 
And I understand it's a giant pain in the ass to do it all on camera, and that's why a lot of film companies or film productions don't do stuff like that in camera. Because then all you'd have to worry about is, okay, we set up the blue screen, make sure it's set up so we can cut them out in the background, and go. So it takes you maybe two hours to set up compared to what that shot probably took like three days to rehearse and, you know, get the camera, you know, get the cameras in the right spot, get the actors in the right spot, get the explosions ready, cue the explosions, cue the helicopter pilot, like so much stuff is going on in that. And I'm, it's very, it goes by so quickly, go go quickly, I'm crashing, Uh, goes by so quickly, you don't think about it unless you do in fact realize that it's all real and to see it all really happen is kind of fun. So the, um, the, Trivia, the technical uh, side of it that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit, dealt with the way that the film was actually, um, was the way that the film was broadcast, or the was, was displayed. <laughs> Mowage is what brings us together Mowage. today. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so the film itself, uh, over the years, has had one of those where, Okay, back in the day when movies were released on like VHS, yep. everybody knows this, whoever owned VHS, it was always full frame. It was pre-widescreen, like everything nowadays is widescreen and when it's released on video, unless it was specifically shot as full frame. The full frame was the square back in the days, it was the 1x33, we discussed this, I know we talked about it probably on like Gold Rush, like the old silent films were all shot in 1x33. Right. That's the full screen square picture as TV has gone by and movies have gone by over the last... 80 years, we've done all, like, the cinemascopes, we've done the, you know, the real widescreen. This movie was shot in a 2 by 39one aspect ratio. That's the big black bars at the top and the bottom, for those of you who want it done simpler and explain simpler. The movie throughout the years has rarely ever been released in that version. They've, uh, originally they released it as a full frame, pan and scan. Pan and scan is the fun time where they would take that rectangular image and digitally move the camera back and forth on it. And it would get this weird ass, like jittery effect as it panned. It It sounds really stupid. It is. The name of it sounds stupid. They basically named it stupidly for a stupid thing. Stupid. I hate pan and scan. Um, (laughs) I'm very adamant about my widescreen I know. That's why I just let you do your thing mm-hmm. when you do this. And I just kind of sit here That's, and listen. You know, you have more time on Tumblr. I cool. used to feel uh-huh. very strongly about full screen and widescreen when that was still a thing. Yeah, and that's the thing. Which is, is not. You, you know not. that slowly went away. Like, Blu-rays came and then that wasn't a thing anymore. No, people haven't. I have not heard people. I think it's because it's been so long that people just have accepted it at this point. Do you remember the year that you got me for Secret Santa when we were, I think, in high school or early college mm-hmm. and you were going to get me School of Rock? Yeah. But you could only find it in full screen so you didn't buy yep. it for me? I refused to purchase it. You bought me the best it. of Tom Hanks on SNL, which That's I had right. never, ever watched. It's good, though. <laughs> it's Tom Hanks. I don't doubt that it's good. You just gave it to me. And maybe I did watch it when you first gave it to me. I just don't think I've watched it Because it's like, I, I refuse to purchase. I, re, I yeah, absolutely no, I refuse know. And to I, purchase I still don't screen. own the movie because yeah. it's impossible to find on Blu-ray for some odd reason. I think they're probably waiting for an anniversary, which is coming up pretty darn soon yeah, here. It was a good movie. And then... Um, I don't want it on DVD because I can only find it in full screen still. Yeah. It's annoying. So, Plus, I really try not to buy things on... DVD, unless I have to. That was three. <laughs> you are ridiculous. Sometimes I have to buy on DVD. I still buy TV shows on DVD. I don't. DVD's dead to me. I know. I'm an idiot. So, uh, anyways, so I'll this movie... I'll just buy Supernatural on Blu-ray when they release the entire series on Blu-ray. 
Um, so this version of the film, when they came out on Laserdisc, was the first time they showed it. Sorry, wait for that. Laser, laser disc. disc. Criterion Collection Laser Disc. <laughs> 91. Actually, I don't uh, think it's a Criterion Collection Laser Disc. Yet. <laughs> what episode was that that I said Criterion Collection Laser Disc like oh, 30 geez. times in a row? I know, because it was the Criterion Edition Collection Laser, laser disc. disc. I'm going to look at the list and see if I can figure it out. Um, but what they did when they released it on that, they tried <laughs> on getting what? it on the laser disc. <laughs> they released the film in kind of a semi-wide format, but when they did that, they still actually cropped it a little bit because they released it in the two by one format. So it was still technically smaller than what you actually see. Uh, when the film got released on DVD, I think it might have been Midnight Cowboy. Uh, that sounds about right. That would have been the last one that probably would have been released on Laserdisc. I feel like that one would have been a Criterion, too, actually. Yeah. I don't know, folks. If you guys remember which one it was. Or Taxi Driver. Ooh, it could have been Taxi Driver, I'm going to look. Look it up. If you don't find it. going to look the Criterion collection. People let us know in in the comments. Let us know on the Facebook if you guys remember, because I don't remember. Um, When the film got released on DVD. Oh, and here's the thing. The credits. Okay, so the version that we watched, The Apocalypse Now Redux, did not have credits. No. Netflix plays the entire movie. And then when the movie's done, like when the actual film itself is done, it's done. There's no credits to it. When the movie had been released on DVD and Laserdisc back in the day, <laughs> Laserdisc, the uh, end credits that they used was a videotape, like, quality. Like, like the film had been, been put made it digitally. May have been, well, I, 12 Angry Men was released on Laserdisc. That would have been a criterion. Well, it was a Criterion collection. It doesn't say if it was on Laserdisc. So maybe it was. But, I mean, if it was Criterion, they might have released it. I'm just going to scroll until I find, see if Midnight Cowboy's on here. But um, the, the the copy of the credits themselves that they put on the end of this, uh, of Apocalypse Now, when they were released on film or on DVD and Laserdisc and all that, was a really bad quality videotape version. Like, like VHS tape version of text credits. So ridiculously low quality. For some reason, they did that. It wasn't until they released it on Blu-ray and now subsequently what's on Netflix that they actually properly uh, cropped the film as close as they could to the ratio. We're talking that the film itself was 2 by 39 by 1. They cropped it to 2 by 35 by 1. not Midnight Cowboy. Okay. So again, if people remember, let us know. Um, But they've, uh, they've actually fixed. Why don't you search? No, shush. Would have been easier. Okay. No, it's easy just um, to do this. You're talking. So, just no, so the movie, scrolling. this is the first time that you actually get to see the film. If you watch it on Netflix or if you buy it on Blu-ray, it's the first time that you get to see these movies the way that they're technically supposed to be shown. That was the key. That was the key to everything that I was trying to get to is that they've only ever shown this film wrong, incorrectly, wrong format, wrong size screen. So you lost parts of the image. And there's a lot of sequences where there's a lot of stuff going on. And you want that nice widescreen because then you can see all the content because Coppola was smart in the way he shot this. He shot it so that way it filled the screen as much as possible. So it was very important. And don't make fun of me. I'm not. I was, making, little jazz hands. I was making happy jazz hands about a movie that's in the Criterion Collection. A movie that you don't like. What movie was that? Royal Tenenbaums. It's all of Wes Anderson's movies are in the Criterion Collection. Like almost every one of them, like any of his mainstream Rushmore ones. Rushmore is. Life yeah. Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Yeah. Which I have at home on the TiVo. I don't remember what movie it was. I can't find it. Well, folks listening, if you guys remember what movie it was that we continued to say the uh, Laser. Laserdisc Criterion Edition. Criterion Collection Laserdisc. Let us know. 
on the comments on this episode. Thank you guys. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I have for technical. Tech. Tech. <laughs> I said tentacle. <laughs> How many tickles does it take to get an octopus to laugh? Eight. Tentacles. Uh, that was a terrible I joke. Know. Oh my goodness. I all right, Lindsay. It. Do your trivia okay. and fun stuff. Let's I'll do this. I'll sit here and acknowledge it every <laughs> once in a while. Jeff will be back in about a half an hour. No. Uh, ooh, I hope not, because that'd push us at like an hour. Okay. Good. I'm going to be choosy, because there's kind of a lot. Some of it is interesting, some of it is not. Mm. Some of it I kind of want to save for when we watch them. Um, Would you stop rhyming? <laughs> kind of sounded like you were trying yeah, to Yeah, maybe rhyming. a little Anyways, bit. Anyways, continue. The scene at the beginning with Captain Willard alone in his hotel room was completely unscripted. Martin Sheen told the shooting crew to just let the cameras roll. Sheen was actually drunk in the scene and punched the mirror, which was real glass, and cut his thumb. Sheen also began sobbing and tried to attack Francis Ford Coppola. (laughs) The crew was so disturbed by his actions that they wanted to stop shooting, but Coppola wanted to keep the cameras going. It took Francis Ford Coppola nearly three years to edit the footage. While working on his final edit, it became apparent to him that Martin Sheen would be needed to tape a number of additional narrative voiceovers. Coppola soon discovered that Sheen was busy and unable to perform these voiceovers. He then then called Sheen's brother, Joe Estevez, (laughs) whose voice sounds nearly identical to Sheen's, to perform the new narrative tracks. Estevez was also used as a stand-in slash double for Sheen when Sheen suffered a heart attack during the shoot in 1976. Estevez was not credited for his work as a stand or for his voiceover work. Have you ever... Okay, for those of you who might want to know, you can see Joe Estevez in a very amazing, terrible horror movie called Werewolf that is on... That Mystery Science Science Theater Theater. did in like their later seasons, like either season eight or nine, or maybe ten. The movie theater in Racine was doing Mystery Science Theater. I think they were playing the riff tracks for the Godzilla that came out in 1999. They were playing it in the theater. Nice. See, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I love that would have been awesome. Theaters so much. Uh, Marlon Brando was played a million dollars in advance. He threatened to quit and keep the advance. Coppola told his agent that he didn't care, and if they couldn't get Brando, they would try Jack Nicholson, Robert Redford, and then Al Pacino. Brando eventually turned up late, drunk, 88 pounds overweight, and admitted he hadn't read the script or even Heart of Darkness, the book it was based on. He read Coppola's script and refused to do it. After days of arguments over single lines of dialogue, an ad-lib-style script was agreed upon, and this was shot according to Brando's stipulations that he be filmed mostly in shadows, which I think works. I think it works for the movie. Brando is just a freaking diva, is all hell. At this point, yeah. Yeah. Well, he also did... Well, no, this they would have filmed this all before that, but he did Superman, the original Superman after yep. this. Came out the same year, excuse me, came out the same year, but, or close to it, but he's just such a diva at this point in his career. After some panicking, Coppola decided to film the 510 Brando as if he was a massively built 6'5 brute to explain Brando's size and steered the camera clear of Brando's huge belly. Yeah. <laughs> That's paraphrasing of the trivia fact right below it, which basically rehashes what I just read. Awesome. Clint Eastwood turned down the role of Captain Willard because he felt the film was too dark. This is the man who made Gran Torino. Originally scheduled to be shot over six weeks, it ended up taking 16 months. Francis Ford Coppola threatened suicide several times during the making of the film. 
The water buffalo that was slaughtered was real, and they show it a thousand times at the end, and it's... Jeff and I both covered our eyes. Yeah, I'm sorry, because I can't watch that. Knowing that it's real, I can't do that. Nope. Like, okay, yes, I'm well aware that cows get killed for hamburger, pigs get killed. I know that all Yeah, but I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I did not grow up on a farm, despite the fact that I'm from Wisconsin. I would like to just feign ignorance and go, I know what happens, I don't want to see it. Yeah, pretty much. Lawrence Fishburne lied about his age. He was 14 at the time when production began in 1976. Was he he plays clean. Was he credited as Larry Fishburne in this movie? Cause, um, cause he was, I don't know. I should look that up because he was credited as Larry Fishburne on the Pee Wee's Playhouse. Okay. Marlon Brando improvised the line, you're an errand boy sent by a grocery clerks to collect a bill. Francis Ford Coppola lost 100 pounds while filming. There are no opening credits or titles. The title of the movie appears as graffiti late in the film, which reads our motto, Apocalypse Now. This was done simply so the film could be copyrighted, since it could not be copyrighted as Apocalypse Now unless the title was seen in the film. For those who are curious, it's um, when they pull up to the like the temple place and Dennis Hopper is there being a Looney Tune. It, you can read it in the background once all the tribes people go away. So when Dennis Hopper is being Dennis Hopper? Pretty much. <laughs> From the 70s. He was crazy. Sam Bottoms, who plays, um... Lance. Lance, sorry, I wanted to call him Larry for a second. No, it's okay. Uh, was on speed, LSD, and marijuana during the shooting of parts of the movie. So essentially, when he says he's on the drugs, he's on, he's on them. That's awesome, because he actually looks like he was freaking oh, crazy. Oh, yeah. He was out of oh, his mind. Oh, Lance. I love I Lance, though. He's uh, sad about the puppy. I know he was. <laughs> Brando improvised a lot of Kurtz's dialogue, including an 18-minute speech, of which only two minutes survived the final cut. According to Peter Manzo, Manzo's Brando, Mead Roberts, screenwriter for The Fugitive Kind, later heard the entire monologue and said that while some of it was incoherent, most of it was brilliant. At the end of the speech, Brando reportedly said to Coppola, Francis, I've gone as far as I can go. If you need more, you can get another actor. Brando said that? Yep. Again, sounds very much so a diva. Uh-huh. Understandable, though, he gets into his part, he does it. Yeah. But he comes across as a diva. Coppola spent days reading Joseph Conrad's source novel, Heart of Darkness, out loud to Marlon Brando on the set. <laughs> Brando got Francis Coppola so riled up that the director turned over the filming of Brando scenes to Jerry, Ze- Jerry Zeismer, who's the assistant director. Awesome. While in pre-production, director Francis Ford Coppola consulted his friend and mentor Roger Corman for advice about shooting in the Philippines. Corman's advice was, don't go. Good advice. When Coppola asked Al Pacino to play Willard, Pacino turned him down saying, I know what this is going to be like. You're going to be up there in a helicopter telling me what to do, and I'm going to be down there in a swamp for five months. The shoot actually lasted 16 months. Coppola shot nearly 200 hours of footage for this film. This is one of the more interesting ones. George. I'm sorry. Okay. The the name John is right below George, and I couldn't, my eyes couldn't figure out which one I wanted to say. George, shut up. Like you never, like you never say anything stupid. You just don't do it that often. So that's why when you do it, it's hilarious. George Lucas was originally set to direct Apocalypse Now from a screenplay by John Milius, who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Lucas's initial plan was to shoot the movie as a faux documentary on location in South Vietnam while the war was still in progress. Coppola, 
who was to have been the executive producer, tried to get the film made as part of a production deal with Warner Brothers. The deal fell through and Coppola went on to direct The Godfather. By the time both men were powerful enough to get the film made, Saigon had fallen and Lucas was busy making A New Hope. Milius had no interest in directing the film, so Lucas gave Coppola his blessing to direct the film himself. Let's keep that trivia fact in mind, kids. Okay? A faux documentary. No, no, no. Just that end part. No, no, no. I know. Yeah. Keep the end part in mind. About that. Lucas gave Coppola his blessing. Just remember that. I, on a quick side note, I kind of like the concept of this being a faux documentary. I think it still would have worked. There was a guy, there would have been a camera crew that were following him along. Granted, they don't technically, I don't think, would have followed him along for this I think, top secret classified mission of killing this yeah, guy. Yeah, I think at the time, yes, that would have worked. But now with the way, because like The Office and Parks and Rec well, and nowadays, all the shows that are like done like that and movies, it's just... It's hard for me to visualize that as being a good movie. Not that those TV shows aren't good, but mm-hmm. as a film, uh, because I feel like well, because I mean, if you look at it like this I is Spinal, Spinal Tap, Tap, Best in Show, <laughs> like anything Christopher those, Guest has yeah, done. All the '80s and '90s movies that Christopher Guest has done are all the faux documentaries. They're the mm-hmm. they're the they're the not mockumentaries. I, yeah, those are, are mock- those are mockumentaries. So like, but then for them to do a faux documentary, this and this would have been before. You said because you said Coppola went on to do The Godfather, so mm-hmm. this is before seventy one. Yeah, because Godfather was seventy one, two is seventy three, I think, or it's early seventies. So that would have been like one of the earliest, like big faux documentaries. Yeah. Had it actually been, I like it the way successful. It is. I mean, I like it the way it is. I'm just thinking like that would have been an interesting twist for the film, and it could have still worked. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to see. Coppola invested several million dollars of his own money in the film after it went severely over budget. He eventually had to mortgage his home and winery in Napa Valley in order to finish the film. In fact, throughout the 80s, he had to work as a hired gun for other producers instead of his own projects to pay off the enormous debts he had incurred from this film. His winery is fine, by the way. You still get the Coppola red wine. Yes. And the Sophia champagne. Yes. Most of the dialogue was added in post-production as extraneous noises, such as helicopters, left many scenes with unusable audio. Shocker. Another reason why they would have done it all CG is so they could have... I mean, they almost rarely ever use the audio captured on set, but still, they could have salvaged some of that. Okay. In the DVD... Com- Sorry, I'm going to read about the slaughtering now. That's why I said okay. Like I know, I just, we were like, all right, whatever, all right. dick. No, no, Moving no, on no, with no. my stuff. No. In the DVD commentary, (laughs) Coppola downplays his involvement in the controversial slaughter of the water buffalo, saying he happened to film a ritual being performed by the natives. I only say the natives because I can't pronounce the tribe they're from and I don't want to be offensive. It's like, if... if It's too many without vowels in the middle. (laughs) I-F-U-G-A-O. Or too many vowels in a row. Ifuago? Ifuago, maybe? Ifuago? Ifuago? Ifuago might be right. Anyway, I'm just going to say the natives. Natives were. However, in the article, the extras and the making of Apocalypse Now, cast and crew detail how Coppola staged the entire scene, directing the natives to chant and sing while they killed the animal, which Coppola provided. Afterwards, Coppola went overboard and ordered a whole truckload of animals, which he gave to the natives to slaughter on camera. However, only one water buffalo slaughtered was used in the final cut. This is from Flip Magazine, 2003, Volume 2, Number 3, pages 29 through 33 and 90 through 91. So they specifically cite where the article is. When Coppola first described the role to Brando, Brando remarked that an American colonel wouldn't have had a name like Kurtz. He would have had an English name like Lee. Late Lely? Late Lely? Literally, because it's Lee, L-E-I-G-H-L-E-Y. So Lely? Lely? It might be Lely. Lely? 
Lately sounds right. Well, Lee is L E I G H. Yeah. When it's the feminine version of Lee. We're not going to. I'm waving my finger a lot. I have really strong feelings on this <laughs> for reasons. I'm pretty sure we all know why. Lindsay's brought this up before in the past episode. Have I? Yes, you oh, have. Oh, okay. Because I mispronounced somebody's last uh, somebody's oh, name yeah. that way. Oh, yeah. You, you pronounced me. me and Lee's last name wrong. Yes! That would have been it. Yep. Having never read Heart of Darkness, Brando did not appreciate the reference. Brando eventually read Heart of Darkness, but not until after the film's completion. After reading the book and liking it, Brando demanded that his name be changed to Kurtz in the film, and Harrison Ford's lines were dubbed to accommodate that fact. Again, Brando, diva, and a story. When asked what he thought about Brando's $3.5 million fee after a New York City screening of the film, former Brando, Brando colleague Tennessee Williams reportedly said, gee, I don't know. I think they paid him by the pound. <laughs> it was a fat joke. <laughs> uh, typhoons destroyed sets, causing a delay of several months. Martin Sheen had a heart attack during the filming, and some shots of Willard's back are doubles, including Sheen's brother, who was flown out specifically. Coppola was so worried that back that backing would be withdrawn by the studio and distributor if news of Sheen's heart attack leaked out that he kept it quiet, even to the extent of explaining Sheen's hospitalization as being due to heat exhaustion in the official shoot schedule. The movie's line, The Horror, The Horror, was voted as number 66 on the 100 Greatest Movie Lines of All Time by Premiere in 2007. Although top billed, Marlon Brando does not appear until more than two and a half hours into the movie, the Redux version that we watched, and Mm -hmm. his total appearance time is 15 minutes. Harrison Ford was allowed to pick his own character's name and chose Lucas to honor George Lucas, who had directed Ford in American Graffiti and Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, two films which made Ford famous. G.D. Spradlin's character is named R. Corman after producer Roger Corman. Let's also remember that trivia fact that Harrison Ford picked Lucas's name to honor him. Yes. So remember that Lucas gave Coppola his blessing and Harrison Ford picked that name to honor him. Keep those in mind. You'll Picks see why. G. Lucas. Yes. Lieutenant G. Lucas is his character's name. More than a year had passed between filming of Willard and Chef searching the jungle for mangoes and encountering the tiger, and the immediately following shots, part of the same scene of Chef clambering back into the boat, ripping his shirt off and screaming. Never get off the fucking boat. Never get off the fucking boat. (laughs) According to his book, In the Blink of an Eye, Walter Murch took nearly two years to edit the movie with an average of 1.47 cuts a day. Jeez. Nicholson was offered the role but turned it down. For which one? Just uh, for uh, for Willard. For Willard. Willard, yeah. The opening tracking shot of the film was originally discarded trim from the footage of the Vietnam village napalm attack. While going through the trims, Francis Coppola, sorry, I keep reading his whole name, Coppola, accidentally stumbled on the trim and added it. He later said that having the trim, having that trim, complemented well with the doors, the end, and the accompanying montage. This is one of Coppola's favorite films of his own. It's in his top five. I wish Um, I had a top five for the movies that I did. Right. I've only done like seven. (laughs) And they're all shorts. They're not even movies. Who am I kidding? The total length of film printed for the movie was approximately 1,250,000 feet. That number roughly translates to around a total of 230 hours worth of footage. Robert Duvall's iconic Oscar-nominated performance as Colonel Kilgore amounts to just 11 minutes of screen time. 
which is not the first time that we've seen Oscar winners or Oscar nominations for roles that have been very short, yep. especially specifically in network. network. Apparently in the 70s, they just love nominating people Apparently. with very tiny roles and awarding them because the, the guys from network, the, the man and the woman, I think both won a network. If I recall, I mean, it's been a while. I'll look it up. Keep talking. Let's see. Here we go. This is why I asked you to remember these two trivia facts. Let's it's remember. Coming back, kids. Reminder. Lucas gave Coppola his blessing, allegedly. Mm-hmm. And Harrison Ford picked the name G. Lucas to honor George Lucas. According to the George Lucas biography, Skywalking... Lucas de- Lucas's decision to pull out of Apocalypse Now destroyed his working relationship with Francis Ford Coppola, who felt betrayed and all but ended their friendship. And the Colonel Lucas character was meant to be a backhanded snub to his then ex-friend. It would be years before they would be spe- on speaking terms again. It would not work together until 1986's Captain EO. <laughs> I don't know which one of these to believe, which set of this to believe. Yeah, it's hard to um, it's hard to to. To believe, to figure out which one you want to actually believe, because it's one of those where it's oh, it's it's Hollywood act- or Hollywood directors that are, you know, fighting about it, you know, fighting with each other again and fighting and little things like that. It's it's I don't know. I feel like I feel like it could be a he said she said type thing, where yeah, they were probably spatting about something stupid when they did the G Lucas at the time. It probably wasn't. They weren't fighting, but they probably got into yeah. some spat, and I that's so it just spun off. I don't know. I like that more positive one, but that's just me. I enjoy the fact that they didn't come together until they worked at the Michael Jackson Disney attraction. <laughs> yes, because Francis Ford Coppola directed that. <laughs> yeah, that's at Disney World right now. Too. I am it's so at, excited. It's at Epcot. They were rebuilding it. My when parents I went. went to see it. I it, it was at Disneyland out in California mm-hmm. when I was. I've only been to Disneyland one time in my life out there. And they were in the process of rebuilding it when I was there, but it was it was like a month away from being open. They took and I out Huddy I Shrug the audience and put Captain EO in, which I'm not the biggest fan of them doing, but whatever. Honey I Shrunk the Audience was cool. It was cool, but it was also very nineties. I don't care. I liked the Kodak song at the beginning. Well and we stood in the waiting room. Are doing eighties now. Apparently. Yeah. With the Michael Jackson classic, which is really kinda cool. Okay. I, be- I believe you. I just haven't been on it. Has more special effect shots in it than Star Wars. Nice. That's impressive. <laughs> yes. And Wait, it's like which one? The uh, New Hope. And it's fifteen that was minutes supposed long. To be a joke. Ah, you're funny. Ah, you funny, Doctor Jones. Filmed in 1976, but That's released racist. in 1979. The first film to use the 70 millimeter Dolby surround sound system. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges auditioned for the role of Willard. Although filming on locations in the Philippines lasted from March 1976 until May of 1977, Marlon Brando's presence on the set was only six weeks from September 2nd until October 11th of 1976. The movie's line, I love the smell of napalm in the morning, was voted as the number 12 movie quote by the AFI and the number 45 quote by Premiere. Also, he does not yell that. No. I, we talked about this. I feel when people quote it, they yell it. He doesn't yell it. He it's, just calmly says, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It's usually them being like, I love the smell of napalm. And yeah. everybody everybody does uh, R. Lee Emery version. The the, yeah. like the drill sergeant. Whenever you hear any kind of... Or, good mor- or a kind of a bastardized version of Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah. Like it's always, Vietnam. it's always that. Which it's very well possible that... Good those, Morning Vietnam! That movie, I do like that movie. I do too. Um... Like, I think it's very possible that because there was so many of those, like, yeah. mocks, mock-ups of it that we, that as a culture, remember the 
like redone versions of the line, not necessarily the original one. Again, remember, Luke, I am your father is not the actual quote. It's no, I am your father. So it's just it's along the same lines. Continue. There are three different treatments of the opening and end credits. In the 35 millimeter version, the credits roll over surrealist. Surrealist. Surrealistic. (laughs) surrealistic explosions and burning jungle the 70 millimeter version has none of this no credits nothing but a one-line copyright notice at the end both versions are available on video that shows you how long ago this trivia got put on yep the 70 millimeter version has been letterboxd a third version has credits rolling over a black background and it's those credits that would have been the vhs quality tape version that some of those releases had as discussed previously. Coppola initially wanted to use the Universal Studios' own sense surround system, but they wouldn't let him do it. This forced him to create an own version of the surround sound system. Hmm. I did not know that Coppola created Dolby. Apparently. Makes sense. Why not? In a 2006 <laughs> interview, the writer of the film said that after he had written the now famous line, I love the smell of napalm in the morning, he thought to himself, this is over the top. This will be the first thing they take out. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to look up Dolby Surround. Okay. James Kahn was the director's first choice to play Colonel Lucas. Kahn, however, wanted too much money for what was considered a minor part in the movie, and Harrison Ford was eventually cast, which then blows that whole he-picked-the-name thing to hell. Yeah, see... See, that's the thing. According to an interview given by Robert Duvall on NPR's Fresh Air on July 22nd, 2010, Colonel Kilgore's name was originally going to be Colonel Carnage, but they changed it to make their statement about him less obvious. (laughs) Huh. Sorry, I'm reading. Um, He did not do Dolby. Okay. I think it was just the first time that they used the Dolby surround at that point. Because the first film with Dolby sound was A Clockwork Orange. Okay. And I think it was just the whole, like, Dolby Surround as we know it. Gotcha. Is the, this was the first movie. So they went with, he went with another one then at that point that he was probably more willing to take a shot at. Milo Estevez hung out on the set of the movie in the Philippines with his father, Martin Sheen, during the filming of the movie. When casting for The Outsiders four years later, Coppola remembered Emilio hanging out on the set of Apocalypse Now and wanted him to play two-bit in The Outsiders, which I've never seen. Hmm. Although I say stay gold pony boy all the time. Martin Sheen's character name combines the name of the two eldest sons of Harrison Ford, oddly enough, Benjamin and Willard. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Some would say that was done on purpose. Purpose? Okay, I'm sorry. I've got a lot of... There's a lot of trivia. (laughs) I'm trying to... I'm trying to figure out what we're going to talk about when it comes to uh, the next episode. Okay. Like I'm trying, well, I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to figure out like how what do we how we're going to approach uh, the uh, documentary. Talk about it. So we are we're just going to have to. It it'll might probably be a, be a short, short episode. episode. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Oh my god, so much trivia. We're at fifty minutes. I know. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going. I'm in the spoilers now, so that helps. Oh, in or just before each of the scenes where a member of the boat crew dies, purple smoke from a flare is visible. A similar thematic element is used by Coppola in the Godfather series where oranges appear just before a character or a scene where a character dies. Interesting. That'd be a nice little thing to try to use. Um... Sorry, there's a lot of trivia. I'm almost to the bottom. (sighs) 
the doc. This is my last one. The document where the document that Willard skims through near the film's conclusion, mm-hmm. on which "drop the bomb, exterminate, exterminate them all" is scrawled, is entitled "The Role of Domestic Force in the Underdeveloped World" by Walter E. Kurtz, Colonel USSF, and is commissioned by the Center for Domestic Democratic Studies, Santa Barbara, California. This is directly taken from Joseph Conrad's novella, where a report written for the International Society of the Suppression of Savage Customs by Kurtz is also graffitied with a similar message: "Exterminate all the brutes." Interesting. The end. I did notice one thing when he was flipping, when uh, Martin Sheen's character was flipping through the paper. Yeah. That 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 manuscript. Yeah. He flipped to the same page twice. Oh, interesting. So it's the same, like, it's the same. Well, it's like five effects, or six pages just duplicated. I didn't read was the fact that this is on moviemistakes.com, yeah. if it still exists, I didn't even check. Has the highest count of mistakes ever at three hundred and like sixty five or sixty seven or something. And it was just something I noticed because I happened to lock on to like three words right next to each other. And when he flipped the page, he saw that he flipped to the next page because he was just thumbing through them. And the next page that shows was the identical page right. again. And it just, it, I mean, then every other page he flips to after that is is different. Yeah. But it was just, it was it, it caught me off guard because I'm like, oh, it's the same page twice. Oh, well, no big deal. The end. Okay, so we're going to wrap up my section really quick because I only have like four things to say. Uh, we'll do uh, Inflation Nation. I caught, I caught one, inflation one Inflation Nation. Nation. I believe there was a second one mentioned just prior to this one in the film, but I could not remember what it was, and so I just kind of let it go. Okay. Uh, $1 was the cost for uh, a Playboy centerfold. Okay. Oh, or, yeah, I saw that, too. Or as they refer to them, the bunny fold. Bunny, I think yeah, bunny folds or bunny shots or yep. something like that. But it's it's the Playboy Center fold was a dollar. That's the equivalent of $5.37. So it's going to cost you five and a half bucks for a center fold. Just the center fold, not the rest of the magazine. Pretty sure that the rest of the magazine is like 10 bucks nowadays. Gotcha. All right. That's all I have for Inflation Nation. Okay. Woo! <laughs> it's a movie that takes place in Vietnam. There's really not a lot of money yeah. that's ever you know talked about in this. Things I've learned. I have three things I've learned. Because, again, very freaking serious movie. And after the intermission, this movie gets ridiculously dark. Number one. Martin Sheen is not Charlie Sheen nor Emilio Estevez. No. Just throwing that out there. Number two. So this is where Tom Hagen went after he finished with Michael Corleone. And hey. number three. J.J. Abrams' movies have nothing on the Playboy dance sequence of this movie. No. Seriously, during that sequence, they kept hitting every freaking camera or every single light that they were using to light up the sequence, and it was just putting these yep. giant lens flares all over the screen every lens single flare, time. Lens flare, lens flare, lens flare. And I'm just sitting there going, and people bitch. I mean, I granted, that was done. They couldn't avoid doing it in right. this time, as you pointed out. And Abrams obviously digitally put the lens flares in his movies and stuff. But it's still, it's one of those where it's, you can't not. Right. Like, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Coppola was doing it years before Abrams was mm-hmm. doing it. <laughs> so that is all I have. Lindsay, any final thoughts regarding this film? I really do like this movie. Mm-hmm. You said you it's, liked it better than the other ones, well, the, too. Well, yeah, liked and it, I liked it better than the first time I saw it, because I saw it for the first time in high school, mm-hmm. and we watched it in class. And I don't think we watched the Redux, but even so, the normal version's two hours and 15 minutes, yeah. and that class was 50 minutes long, and we watched it for, like, a week. So you had to split it up. I was going to say mm-hmm. to split it up. And I like might have been sick increments. one of the days. and No, that was The Godfather I missed, because I was sick. 
But this something. this movie, um, I, I I understand completely why oh, it's yeah. on the list. I don't think we're gonna have that problem. No, now that we're in the top thirty, yeah, because we are in the top. 30. We are. And so, we're delaying oh it. yeah, we're not doing our next movie. No, we're not doing our next movie. We are going to be doing. Uh, we decided to do this. Parts instead. of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse from 1991. So now Jeff has to try and find. I will try to find it. If I, for some reason, am unable to find it, the next episode that'll go up will just strictly be our next movie. Right. You know, we'll just have to leave it at that. But I would like to watch this documentary because... It is an 8.2 out of 10. Like, that's right there. That, that to me, is enough And it to... says, documentary that chronicles how Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now was plagued by extraordinary script, shooting, budget, and casting problems, nearly destroying the life and career of the celebrated director. See, I'm really intrigued by that. Because it focuses on Francis Ford Coppola, which obviously, at least three of his movies are in the top 50 of this list. So And, like, a bunch of people that were in the movie, well, it says themselves, but it's entirely possible it's just because of the footage. Right. So. So I'm I'm very intrigued to see this. I want to see this mm-hmm. kind of making of just to see how it is. Like I said, if we can't, if I cannot find it, which I know it's a bonus feature on the Apocalypse Now, like Blu-ray boxes. Okay. So it's got to be out there. So I'm pretty sure we'll be able to watch it. So the next episode will kind of be just like a short little episode that we'll Interesting. do. Interesting. Francis so. Ford Coppola initially had no desire to release the documentary on DVD due to him disagreeing with the way he is depicted. Ooh, it was finally released on DVD in 2007, albeit with an optional Coppola commentary track that clears up many things. In 2010, it was even released in the full disclosure Blu-ray edition of Apocalypse Now. Okay. So, we'll watch it. And yeah, yep. next, next week's episode will just be a little short episode. Things yep. are getting kind of busy yeah. now with us. So, you're listening to this episode on August 18th. Right? 16th. 16th, sorry. Think, 16th. Yeah, I'm sorry. My birthday's on my birthday's the next day. So that's my birthday weekend. So <laughs> starting this week when we're recording it, which is the end of July, yeah. Jeff starts a new job on Wednesday. Yeah. Which puts him not back in town for us to record until evening, which is when I have to go to bed because I work at five in the morning. Yeah. So <laughs> our episodes will not be delayed because we have enough. You guys will never notice, but there will be less of a because we're going to end up getting to the point where we're going to have to record the week it comes out. So yeah. you'll get less of that back to the futureness of yes. it. <laughs> where it's like, oh, yes, at this point, like, happy birthday, Lindsay. Yeah, because <laughs> we're going to record on weekends. But unfortunately, I'm out of town for the next literally three weekends. Three weekends. So, yeah. So the last weekend I'm out of town. That's not true. I'm out of town for the rest of the month of August, except for Labor Day weekend. <laughs> So we don't know when this next episode is going to be released. We might have to start doing them Sunday nights. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we might have to. I'll just come back from a scene earlier. Um, So yeah. cross. Well, if if anything happens, if for some reason an episode does not go up. We are sorry. Sorry. We'll just, it'll be delayed for a little bit. Obviously, one of us will post on the Facebook if it doesn't happen. We have not missed an episode in almost a, or in over a year. Over a year. So... Yeah, because that was sometime in, like, May or April of last yeah, year I think, that we missed yeah. the episode. Yep. Because it was back, it was still when we were doing this every every other, other week. week. Yep. And then we could we sure. took a break and then went back to doing yep. it every week again. So, yeah, we have not missed a week. We've done an no. episode every single week for so over a year. So, you'll be okay. So, if it happens, we'll post and just say sorry. Yep. But, 
Yep, in the meantime, go back kiddos. and listen to old episodes. Yeah, there's plenty of those. Or you know what you could do? I really think check out the Midnight Sleuth on the Ghost Tent Network. Yeah, we a super happy fun time. A super happy fun time. The podcast that Colin and I do. That's kind of. And fun. I'm sometimes on in the background faintly. Yes. Faintly yelling. <laughs> so when I have important things to say, I come closer to the microphone, but I'm That's usually just yelling funny. commentary in the background. <laughs> I think also we really should, I was thinking about this, what we're going to do for when we get to the top of the list and we start doing other things on mm-hmm. this podcast. I really do think we should go back and rewatch some of the movies we maybe didn't like and in the beginning. Like, I need to rewatch Blade Runner. Yeah. Now I need to watch Blade Runner. And we won't, we won't do is, Blade Runner. We won't, we won't probably follow the structure of the show. No, we'll maybe, we'll just we'll call it like it. whatever it is, Redux. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it'll just be us talking about why, what we or hated read, about it. Or do-over, yeah. Yeah, what we hated about it the first time and whether or not it's as bad of a movie. To be fair, I think I've only hated three movies on this list. I think we might need to rewatch The Last Picture Show. Yeah. We had a lot of flack about the last picture show. A lot of people so did really not agree with us. So I really think we need to rewatch it. We need to rewatch that one. I will even rewatch Easy Rider because that is a movie that I hated, and I flat out hated that movie. I think we shouldn't have to rewatch movies that we both that one of us only hated. I think we should watch movies that we, that we both had lukewarm a feeling just about. Did not care. I about. still am probably not going to rewatch Sophie's Choice. You can just get over that one. <laughs> Well, it's a hundred movies. If I'm a 99 for a hundred, you're going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll and we have to rewatch. We actually have to watch. And the, the, we have to actually watch Ben Hur. Again. That's the, <laughs> see, that's the thing is like, it's like the Godfather. Part one, we have to like part... redo the bottom 10 movies. Cause we didn't really watch them. Cause like Citizen Kane, we're going to do Citizen Kane. Cause spoilers, that's number one. Yeah. So it's like, it's been number one for like 30 years. Exactly. So it's like, um, that's not going to be as like, an exciting episode because like we have reached number one we'll still be like we can that. probably watch Colin's like special edition blu-ray or DVD of it of uh, Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane so it's like but like the box set of it I feel like we won't be it won't be as exciting because we still know we have to at least do Ben-Hur yeah and Ben-Hur will then be the final episode right. of the standard format of the show right. and then after that it'll just be any kind of yeah. any subsequent because we're still mm-hmm. going to do our like you know what the movies our reordering are, of reordering. the top twenty-five, yeah, or what like, our top twenty-five is. Right, you know, we're still going to do that list, mm-hmm. and that there's a lot of like little things after we reach the end of the list, and but. like the genre lists, yeah. and yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting. It will. We're getting close, Lindsay. I know we're over an hour, so let's shut this down. But I like talking. I know I do too. But I, I have to go home because I have to eat dinner and stuff. <sighs> well, it's all uphill from here, kids. Good night, Radio Rai. Say goodnight, CK Dexter Hayden. Never get off the fucking boat. Never get off the fucking boat. I feel like that could also become an ending thing for us. <laughs> and remember, kids, <laughs> never get off the fucking boat. Would have been great at the end of Snow White. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry for the end of Snow White, except not really. Let us all. I say, was loopy about going on vacation. <laughs> let us all say a holes in case the children are listening. Okay, let's talk about necrophilia. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> We have weird friends. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> All right, everybody. All right, goodbye, so, everybody. Goodbye. 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 <laughs> Don't get off the fucking boat. Don't get off boat. the fucking boat. John Don't get off the boat. Really yeah, it's true. Maybe that's where... No, who? Charlie Sheen didn't have tigers. Tiger blood, though. Tiger blood. <gasps> it all makes sense. It does. Okay, shut it down. We don't need any Charlie of this. Sheen. No, don't give him attention. Just stop it. Winning. Winning. <laughs>
Hello Internet Dwellers, this is Jeff Bell, president of the Ghost Hat Network, here at the end of this episode to give a quick plug about some of our other exciting shows. But wait a minute, Jeff, you have other shows? Why, yes, random listener, we do. If you head over to ghosthat.net, you can find a heap of shows we produce on a semi-regular basis. Like... Super Happy Fun Time, the podcast where Colin Kirchner and myself sit one-on-one and talk movies, TV, video games, and other big things we care about. The Midnight Sleuth, a comedy detective mystery show in the style of old-time radio that follows the adventures of Midnight Sleuth and his partner, Linda Talbot, as they solve crimes, stop the bad guys, and poke fun at the source material. Famous Person Story Time, a podcast where celebrities retell their favorite nursery rhymes or fairy tales as best as they can remember it, even if that memory is completely wrong. So if you're in need of some new shows to listen to on your commute, while working out, or simply relaxing at home, be sure to head over to ghosthat.net now and subscribe to our shows. For more information about this and other projects, visit our official website at www.ghosthat.net or like us on Facebook at facebook.com ghosthat. Thank you.